Welcome to the Radio Plasma Podcast, a space dedicated to the exchange of ideas, conversations, stories, music, performances, and randomness. Listen at radioplasma.com. Also, we are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. I'm your producer and host, Johan Rashi Vega, and we will take this session outdoors. We're going to do a little walk in downtown Holyoke and have a conversation about a special event that begins today, the celebration of Immigration Heritage Month. This is the first of a series of conversations we will be featuring during the month of June with immigrants living in Holyoke. The representation of different countries, cultures, communities, all of them part of the immigration heritage that makes Holyoke the multicultural and diverse city it has been and it is today. Our first story conversation and also our very first outdoors podcast session will be with Marie-Claire Giron-Tonsmeyer, who is one of the honorees of this year at the Immigration Heritage Month. So let's walk outside and meet Marie-Claire on her weekly Monday noon walk around the city. So we are on High Street in a kind of cloudy day, but still comfortable to walk and to enjoy. I'm with Marie-Claire. Just a few hours before a special event that is important, meaningful, yet kind of surreal about the experience, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. About the, you mean about the, the fact that we're going to get an award or like a recognition tonight from the city of Holyoke? Yes. yes, it is surreal. And, and I was humbled, but I was also thinking, you know, I'm not going to tell people. But then my husband pointed out, you know, with a lot of negativity against uh, immigrants these days, this is good and, and maybe you should tell other people. <laughs> I encourage you to do it. And I said, okay, then I will. How many Latinos can Wisteria Hearst hold? Because I'm going to invite a lot of them <laughs> too. So, yes, yes. Yeah, and that is another great thing, seeing the Wisteria Hearst being now a place that is becoming a new point of connection and contact for everybody in the community, especially putting attention to the Latino, Latino community in Holyoke. I'm very pleased about that too, and I've noticed in the past couple of years at least that they've, they've created different events to welcome us in the, at the museum, and that to me is really awesome, it's really good. You know, the library is also doing the projects to, uh, to get stories from Puerto Ricans and their families and, and the story of how they got here too, so that's like, yes! There are more Puerto Ricans here in the city of Holyoke and we need to recognize that and document it, which is really important for the next generations. I'm curious about your story in general. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I would like to know more about your story, how those life events led you to be now a Holyoke resident. Oh, yes. Uh, well, it's a long story, <clears throat> but... Um, I was working for Heifer International in Guatemala, where I was born and raised, and um, I was like the, I acted sort of like a tourist guide for anybody coming from our headquarters or coming from the United States to visit the projects in Guatemala, so I traveled around and interpreted for them, and it, it was in one of those trips where I met the woman that became my supervisor. 
uh, she invited me to come to the learning center uh, located in Rutland, Massachusetts. Uh, at the time, it was called the Overlook Farm. And she explained, you know, this is an cent educational center where people come to learn about hunger and poverty. And because of the content that you had and experience that you had with the projects and the communities that we work with in Guatemala, I think you will be a good ambassador to come and talk about that to congregations, schools, or anybody who comes and learn, learns or comes to the learning center. They have day programs and weekend programs and week-long programs. Uh, one of Some of those programs used to be like the world map. In the world map, map activity, you got to see where, how many resources are in the world and who has those resources and how can we, it had a lot of, lot of questions, many questions about how can we make it better for the have-nots too. So, and then and other activities where they have a global village, um, including a house representing Thailand at the time. It's not there anymore, unfortunately, uh, because we don't have projects there anymore either. But uh, there is one, there is a house representing Peru, a house representing Guatemala, Tibet, uh, part of the, you know, the border with uh, Mexico and the US, um, Uganda, uh, Poland and I forget what other country in 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 Africa and also uh, the US you know people were shocked to see a trailer there for example said there's poverty in the US and we said yes there is poverty in the US and people didn't want to hear about the poverty in Maine for example but we talked about that and we talked about the poverty in Louisiana and in those areas down in, in the south or what it used to be called the deep south and there's still poverty there mm -hmm. so it was a lot of education about what hunger and poverty means in the United States but also around the world and in, in, in specific countries as well so um, I really like the program I brought a lot of things from Guatemala sort of like the clothing that people wear in the highlands I wore it even though none of my family grew up uh, wearing that for generations I know that we have descendants of a mix you know Mayan uh, from from Spain, Ashkenazi Jewish, uh, African of course, uh, south of uh, Spain and, and so forth, Mexican too, in my family, <clears throat> but none of them had the beautiful clothing. But I, I was born in Guatemala and and I knew that that's part of me, so I wore it and I and I talked about it with with people that visited, and we um, I had learned to make tortillas. So part of the training that the people that came in the Guatemala house was making tortillas and and talking about you know the beans and how coffee is produced and make them aware that you can buy fair traded coffee, for example, fair traded chocolate and fair traded products that will help more the the farm farmers that are being taken advantage of uh, by third parties in 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 our countries for example you know same thing with nepal in south you know in south america and other places of the world um, so a lot of that developing programming for them in for the guatemala side i also learned, helped to research on how to build the peruvian house for mm -hmm. example you know because i got i was fortunate enough to visit there in several several parts of of, uh, of peru so um, 
got to put as traditional as possible and communicated with them too because I was only, at the time I was the only staff that spoke Spanish at the center. So any, they were volunteers and in fact they were volunteers that uh, came and, and spoke with me and helped me uh, learn more English also. But I was the only Spanish speaker in the staff at the farm. So any any volunteers that came uh, I, that only spoke Spanish, I would do. And I was also managing the uh, what was at the time the um, it was a special program to bring partners from other countries and and do similar things that I that I was that I was doing. Um, so coming to educate people the people in congregations, visitors. We used to have at the time over 28,000 visitors a year. So developing um, educational programs for the different sites was was very, was good and, and needed. We needed that to be as authentic as possible. And to be as authentic as possible, we that's why we brought people from other countries. I was uh, lucky to work with people from Nepal, from from Poland, from Mexico, from Honduras, from from the different parts of the world that we have uh, projects. And uh, so I really, I really love working there. Um, and I was lucky to have. To have that opportunity, uh, thanks to my supervisor back then, Wendy Peskin, who, who now lives in Hawaii, and I still miss working with her. You know, she was really, really good. Um, what I call a cultural ambassador. You know, bringing awareness of the different cultures and the needs that people, the different needs that we all have around the world, but how those needs also connect us in different ways. So um, that's how I came here. I was originally invited. To come for three months that got extended to another three months and then as a volunteer actually and and uh, and then um, there was an opening for a job at the farm and at the with the fundraising team mm -hmm. so I was invited to apply for the, for both positions and I got to think oh my god you know I'm still not done with college I still have like three more classes to finish my bachelor's degree and I have told my friends, I'll be back in three months, don't worry about it. And they were waiting for me. They, they decided to, to leave the, the university at the time. I was in a very intense program there. Um, so, so they said, well, yes. But then when I extended it, they said, okay, I'm, I'm gonna continue. And I said, I'm sorry, yes. So um, then I, I applied, I decided to apply for the fundraising job because I thought, that I will not only help Guatemala, but I will help other countries around the world with the with the fundraising, you know, because I knew about the projects that we have visited as well, and and the programs that we that we represent at the at the learning center, and I thought, well, that would be better if I work only for the farm. My impact will be less than working for the development department. So I did that for five years. And then during that time, it was when one day a group came from a town I didn't know about called Holyoke. And so the group was, uh, was a group of farmers coming from a nonprofit called Nuestras Raices. And they have, I, they have come in the past, but this time they needed an interpreter. And they needed an interpreter that had the veterinary vocabulary, not only the farm, but the veterinary piece of it. Because they wanted to apply for farm animals for the farm mm -hmm. here in town. And um, so I, I had a 
that we had a volunteer and she said, I, I can be there and I, um, I can interpret for them. And I said, are you sure? And she said, yes, I'm sure. If you have any questions, give me a call and, and I can help you. So later on that night at 9 p.m., Marie Claire, how do you say watchdog? How do you say barn? How do you say this? And I said, are you sure you're not going to need me tomorrow? And she said, no, I'm sure. 10 p.m. comes back again and she says, I'm sorry, Marie Claire, you need to come tomorrow. I don't think I will be able to do this. So I, said, so I changed my, my plans for that Saturday and I decided to go to the farm and I, and I, and I come in and I open the door and one of the first persons I saw was Eric. I didn't know his name at the time. I just kind of saw like a little sparkle. Literally, I saw a little sparkle in his eye, you know, and I'm thinking, no, Marie Claire, you're here to work. 28, you know, 28,000 visitors plus a year. You can't be flirting with everybody, you know, with all of them or with some of them, no. You know, so I, I, I acted professional. I did what I needed to do. We, tr we visited around the farm. The person who was doing the tour was the farm manager, and he talked all you know technicalities about how to keep, how to manage um, and, and raise sheep, goats, all kinds of animals, and how to do famacha, you know, to see if they are healthy or not. You know, famacha is the technique where you where you pull the eyelid down and see how you know see if they are red or if it's white or if they have worms or not. You can determine a lot of things from looking at different different uh, parts of the animal even, you know, the teeth and all of that, the ears and whatnot. So um, we did all of that and I had volunteered to interpret uh, for a workshop about seed saving for the next weekend and I didn't know that he had done the same thing. So we learned about it and now he says, well, I'm also a volunteer. How about we get together to develop vocabulary and get ready for the next weekend? So that was basically our first date. You know, interpreting for a for a seed saving workshop because I didn't know a whole lot about seeds and and all you know the agricultural piece I was very aware because Heifer International has always promoted work with the manure, implement it and use it in your crops and sustainable to be how to be more sustainable and that not only included the economic side but also in the agricultural and, and for generations as well. So that was our first interpretation uh, gig together as volunteers and then I'm learning about all this you know all the parts of the flower and the seeds and how you know all of this and that and I, it felt awkward but you know we did it <laughs> and then uh, we kept you know we, just, we kept dating we, we traveled we would see each other on, on over the weekends because I didn't know at the time that he was a writer so he was writing uh, well the book that became uh, Perennial Vegetables. So all the week he was working on Nuestras Raices and writing the book, so we would just see each other over the weekend. So I would travel here, or he would travel over there, and that kind of thing. And I wasn't sure, you know. First of all, when I came to this country, I thought it was only for three months. Learning, you have the experience. I needed to, to practice more my English, because to graduate uh, at that level, um, what the equivalent of a bachelor's degree here in Guatemala, you need to, to have another, at the university where I went, we had to speak another language. It was either English or French or whatever other language we chose, German even. Um, so I had chosen English because I graduated back in Guatemala um, 
as a bilingual secretary. So that's a three-year training program uh, where you take even shorthand in English and Spanish, and you're you're being checked to the detail. You know the dots and tildes and whatnot in both languages. Uh, so uh, a rigorous training, and so but even so, I, I needed to to practice some more. I I read the King, King James Bible. I had a friend, uh, an Irish friend, that helped me with that too back in Guatemala. So um, I knew I had some pieces here and there but you know it's not only until you come here that you learn some kind of technicalities or localities about the language i didn't know for example that in boston they say a car for a car you know pack my car you know <laughs> and so it, it was good to come and have that experience but when i came i never thought about staying i really never in my dreams had the thought of coming and living in the United States, you know. I just thought, okay, I'm going three months, and then, okay. Then it became another three months, okay. And then I be it became like two years, depending on my visa, because I got one of those special visas, mm. H1B1 or something like that, I don't even recall, but it's a specialty visa. Mm -hmm. um, but I thought, okay, my plans after I finish all of this, fundraising, I go back to Guatemala, I continue to work for Heifer International there, I will establish an, a Spanish school. And I had chosen the place where I was gonna have it uh, in Guatemala. And of course, finishing my, my degree. And moving out of my house was another project that I had. Moving out of my house, finishing the degree and establishing a Spanish school. But then I met this guy and I wasn't sure, but then I thought that he was genuine and, and more and, you know, different and then I had a long list of criteria that I developed. If I ever meet a guy for this or that, I will have to have this, 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 this and that. And he filled most of the requirements. <laughs> so I gave myself a chance. And as it turned out, it's, it's, it's going really well. And I don't regret that. The only sadness that comes to mind is when I think about winter time. You know, it's really hard being here in the winter. I miss the fresh fruits and the weather and the family, of course. I don't have family that lives here near me from my mother's side or my side. The closest family I have is my mother-in-law and, and my, my husband's brother, but they live in Philadelphia. So that's kind of far away. But I also, on that token, I was very happy to have the opportunity to meet many Puerto Ricans in the community. As it turns out, you know, um, 48 or 49 percent of the city are Puerto Rican. They're so welcoming. The food is very is similar in many ways, and and the culture is totally similar. You know, we speak Spanish, and we have these similar jokes even, and and certain phrases that we use, and so it's it's very similar. So I I, I think when I think about coming to Holyoke, is is for me is I immersed myself in the in the Puerto Rican culture. Mm -hmm that's the full immersion for me. Even though I heard a lot of negativity before moving in here, um, I can see that it's different than what I was expecting. So it's, for me, it was better to be prepared for the worst and know that and find those jewels and work with that and know that whatever interactions I have with people that want positive change for the city, they are there and it can happen. So that's how I'm here still, you know. It's it, you know there's more details to that, but that's uh, that's uh, that's the basic story.
when you think back home, Guatemala, what are the memories or also the cravings? Because there are some things that are not so easy to get around here when it comes to food or those things that you like and enjoy and bring and connect to those memories. What comes to your mind? Well, the first thing that came to mind was tamales. You know, my mother, when I was growing up, my mother used to make them every Friday. I mean, every Saturday. She would make them on Friday to sell them on Saturday. And you put a little lamp out of your house, you know, a red lamp and that's or a light. And that's how you knew who was selling tamales. My mother was one of those stores. She had a little tienda, they call it, in Guatemala, like a little corner, like that grocery store that used to be in this corner of uh, Suffolk and Height. Um, like little tienda like that so and she would sell that and the fresh tortillas you will get with that and fresh bread I, I miss that and you know pepian and hokon and so many traditional uh, foods and even breads like we have in in Quetzaltenango an area in the highlands which many people come to begin it because it's well known for their Spanish schools shela uh, they sell what we call checas so it's a special bread um, that has um, apple, like apple sauce or apple jelly inside, mm. and you can you can eat that with with coffee, you know. And it's like this is traditional hot chocolate, but the chocolate that we sell there is very different, different. also. So things like that. But mostly, I miss the warmth of people that I used to work with. I know that many of some of them have passed away, and I wasn't there to to say my goodbyes to them, give them my respect. Um, but mostly, you know, traveling around the country and like, I used to escape on the weekends and just, hey, how are you, you know, I came to visit and I was I was like family to them. They will welcome me and they will even, you know, kill a chicken and we'll have like a feast that weekend and we will share tamalitos or tortillas and things like that. So all of that is it's, it's different here and I miss it. What are the things that you enjoy from being a Holyoke resident and someone who has so many activities and, and connections with the, with the community? I enjoy the interactions with people that I see uh, daily or, or sometimes not so daily, but because um, we are all very busy. <laughs> or time is taken so many times but I, I really enjoy seeing the person and knowing the good things that this person is doing and when I see that person it's like I just want to hug that person even if I can't at the moment and just like my heart warms up and I just wish the best to that person because I know that um, they're doing good things or like connecting people to services or helping people um, get to a scholarship or get to college or get through through a problem or a loss or something there is that difference between this, this community and others I see that this community is even if we don't know each other the 40,000 that we live in this city we don't know each other specifically there is a lot of connection we know when the community is, is suffering for example the fire that happened on January 1st uh, I didn't know specifically the neighbors that lived in that building, but I knew at least a couple of them and we we got our hearts together to help them. I saw the community, the community got together that weekend. Many bags of clothing and other things came to that 
to that building, to that school, and interpreters and the Red Cross and other organizations came, but not only for that day. There are other organizations that are, that, that are helping following up to help these people become self-sufficient too. And that's what is very interesting for me and very important to me because that gives the power back to the community. Um, as long as they remember or they are reminded that there is hope, we can do a lot of things with that. And that's what makes me stay, you know, in the community connected and, and developing more connections and relationships. And if, if other people don't know the people I know, I introduce them. So to make sure that those connections happen either for jobs or who knows, you know, what a person can know, scholarship or, or who knows, you know, um, in terms of doing good in the city. And the reason we are doing this conversation on the street it is because of an idea you had to start walking one day at a week and bring friends and have that joy of walking the city and have a conversation. So I wanted to join that as part of your idea. How did you got this this idea to do this walking? Well, it's uh, it's for healthy reasons. I don't I don't bike, for example. So I thought, well. I'm learning to use my a bike right now. How many people are out there that, that are in, in this situation? And uh, also, I work at, a, at an office. How many people could take a little break, five minutes or 10 minutes or so, to walk one way or another, to change the scenery, and also get to see where certain organizations or businesses are? For example, in one of the walks, we went to the bridge where the, where the River, the cross river event was going to happen because one of the participants, one of the people, one of the persons that were walking with me didn't know where that was. Um, and then in the way back, we went, Oh, this is where Tapestry oh, is, this is where CDE is, this is where the new train station is. It's sort of like giving a little tour of the of the of the businesses and 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 landmarks in the city for certain people too. So, but it's also another way to connect, another way to take over the streets in, in, in a way, meaning um, if there's certain activity here, there, if, if people see more people interacting and walking around those areas, they say, oh, this is important for people, so maybe we should do our bad business somewhere else. So um, it's creating that, um, that physical physical appearance in certain areas of the city that need a little more. And of course, the, the, the healthy peace that comes with it. And that's a, I could add, um, a little bit of a cultural, traditional thing for many people coming from different countries where their local communities are more used to walk because that is the way to get around places because the way the actual design of those cities, towns, even villages, is for people to interact and walk. Yes, and I could, I would love for the city to be more walkable. Um, I, I am aware that we need a little more, um, more training or, or, or more knowledge about uh, certain rules of the road for bikes and even cars and whatnot. Uh, But yes, our culture, when I was in Guatemala, I didn't need to know how to drive. I didn't need to own a car. There was a lot of transportation, even, you know, late night and often. 
not every half an hour or with more frequency. So I could navigate, I could navigate, I can take you to Guatemala right now and tell you, let's go here and there and I know what bus to take. We don't need, you know, I don't need a car. It's more convenient, of course, but the walking is a piece that is very important. I didn't need to to think about going to the gym because I hadn't exercised, for example. I lived a half a kilometer from the Pan American Highway, so I would walk that every day and then a similar distance to go to my office and then all the way back. So all day I was doing exercise without having to go to the gym. I'm not against the gyms. I'm not against, you know, exercising in a with machines and things like that. If you do it, you're welcome, but not everybody has access to that. So thinking of that is why I thought, okay, let's see who else wants to come and we have a relaxing time. We we get to see parts of the city that you probably have not seen. And we're interacting and learning a little bit more about each other. So that's community building, which is also part of my job, but also part of, of um, who I am. I want to know, I want to meet people, I want to hear stories, and I want to be part of their life and see how we can help each other. How do you feel being recognized by the city for your work and your contributions to the community in the city of Holyoke? Um, it's mixed feelings. I feel honored, but I feel like, oh my God, you know. Why did I get attention to myself? How did that happen? <laughs> so, you know, I feel humbled about that. And I also feel like there are many other people in the community, and I know there are many other people in the community, and they're probably on their list as well, but I know there are many people that have done um, even more things that I have done in the city um, to make it better. So I hope that this is well, this is the second year, as I understand, and I hope that there are more of these personalities or these other people on their list to be recognized. Um, again, I feel humbled about that. I'm, I'm kind of like, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to share it at the beginning, you know. <laughs> Who do I tell? But then I think, and my husband reminded me, you know, this is a positive thing, you know. At a time when, when there is a lot of hate and bad things coming against immigrants, here it is an opportunity to highlight the good things that some immigrants are doing in a city, in a particular city, that benefits the rest of it. And it is happening at a place that uh, is opening their doors even more towards the Latino community. So it's a couple of good things and I'm thinking, okay, you are right, so I'm going to start now distributing mm -hmm. this and inviting my friends and people I know with the time I got. So um, I'm excited. Um, might not be, might not not be a big deal, but I am happy that uh, they're doing this. And not not for me and my friend Johan in particular, <laughs> but the message the message that this will send to the community about immigrants. We are here, and we are doing good things. Marie-Claire, always it's a pleasure to talk to you, to share time with you, and most now uh, to share this honor together. And this time together here on the streets of Hollywood talking about your story. Yes, thank you, Johan. Uh, I really like working with you too, and I really like, from the very first moment that you mentioned, I'm going to start a radio in Hollywood. I was like, yes, 
we need this. We need the voice of the community, and I think that's a lot of what you're doing too, um, bringing the positive uh, about events and things that are happening in the city. We hear a lot of negativity about the the, the city already, so highlighting the good is always a good idea. <laughs> so thank you for your work. So here we are in the heart of the city of Holyoke on High Street, and beginning the celebration of what is the Immigration Heritage Month, and this is our first of many stories we're going to be sharing about immigrants, because immigration makes Holyoke. Thank you, Marie-Claire. Thank you, Johan. This is the Radio Plasma Podcast. This session was recorded on High Street in downtown Holyoke, Massachusetts. I'm your producer and host, Johan Rashivega. Thank you for listening.